It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 245 for June 5th, 2011, recorded June 3rd. Would you trust Microsoft Security Essentials to protect your computer? I decided to give it a try on the netbook I use at the office. The office desktop is protected by an enterprise version of McAfee antivirus, and all of my home computers have Norton Internet Security 2011. MSE is a bit light on advanced features, as you might expect with a product that contains the word essentials in its name, but the basic protection seems acceptable. MSE has four tabs to organize its functions, Home, which covers security status and scanning selections, Update for automatic and manual definition downloads and program updates, History, a table that shows what the system has found and what actions it has taken, and settings where you specify program preferences. In other words, it's very similar to most other programs that do the same thing. The primary difference is that this one is from Microsoft, and it's free. I have long been a proponent of incorporating malware protection into the operating system, but Microsoft probably considers antitrust legislation and intentionally avoids making Microsoft Security Essentials a best-of-breed application. MSE includes virus and spyware detection, rootkit protection, and real-time warnings via Microsoft's Spynet, an Internet-based service that anonymously compares file behavior on computers whose owners have opted in to Spynet. And yes, that does seem a rather unfortunate name, Spynet. Basic Spynet membership submits information about detected software's origins to Microsoft, the system's response, and the outcome. If you choose the Advanced Membership option, it will also report the questionable application's location on your computer, what it does, and how it has affected the computer. Both memberships are voluntary, both are free, users are opted out of both by default. MSE integrates very well with Internet Explorer, if you use it, and the Windows Firewall to provide better protection for those who are running either Vista or Windows 7. All attachments and downloaded files are automatically scanned by Security Essentials, as they should be. The program is scheduled to scan your entire computer once a week at 2 a.m., and new malware signatures are downloaded at least once a day. These settings and others can be changed on the Settings tab. If 2 a.m. isn't good for you, change the time or disable automatic scanning. Although MSE provides a reasonable number of settings, this is an area where other applications have a lot more robust choices. But MSE is free, and you can download it from Microsoft. In fact, if you have Windows 7, it's probably installed by default. If you'd like more information from Microsoft, there's a link to the MSE part of the Microsoft website on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The last time I talked about Alien Skins Snap Art 2, and that was back in 2009, I said that it would have blown my socks off if I'd been wearing any socks at the time. Well, having heard a discussion of the amount of force required to blow one's socks off, and the pain such operation might inflict, 
I've decided that I need better terminology. So how about this? If you'd like to create old master painterly works of art, but you don't have the skills or the time needed to work in paint on canvas, Snap Art 2 is for you. All right, maybe not quite so dramatic, but I think it tells the story. The advent of Photoshop CS5 and the update to CS5.5, which for Photoshop is still 5.1, changed enough things that I wanted to see how these applications perform when Photoshop is running as a 64-bit application. The outstanding features are all still there, and the interface continues to be both easy to understand and easy to use. But now everything happens faster, too. Speed is critical if you're a pro. Waiting several minutes for an effect to render could seriously cut into your productivity. Even with large, raw images, SnapArt 2 is fast, usually just a few seconds, to render even the most complex of effects. Alien Skin is responsible for a wide array of filters. Some should be used early in the workflow. Others should be used near the end. SnapArt 2 is one that should be used near the end to convert the finished photograph to the work of art you want. I started with a photograph of Phoebe. We call her the Glamour Cat. If you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see why. It's an okay snapshot, but I wanted something more. After all, I'd gone to the trouble of setting up a background, using good lighting techniques, and getting the Glamour Cat to pose. What needed to be addressed first was color balance. The original was much too cool, so I fixed that. And I added a vignette to help focus attention on Phoebe the Glamour Cat. That might be enough, or you might want to do more, possibly brighten the eye color, but I'll stop right there on this image for now. SnapArt 2 offers several starting points. I could choose comics. Wait, comics for a glamour cat? No, no, no. Pastel? Maybe. Oil paint? That's promising. Stylize? Well, I selected oil paint. That seemed right for the glamour cat. Within the oil paint filter set, the broad selections range from abstract to realistic, I selected abstract with a large brush and thick paint as my starting point. You can simply use the default effect if you want, or if you wish to make adjustments on any of the additional tabs, basic, colors, canvas, and lighting, feel free to do that. And if you find a group of settings you really like, save them as a preset for later use. On the basic panel, there's create output in a new layer above current. That's a checkbox. It's selected by default, and it's important to leave that selected because it makes the changes non-destructive. The change will be applied to a new layer instead of modifying the original layer. So anytime you want to get back to the original photograph, it's still there. On the Colors panel, I increased the color saturation and contrast just a bit and slightly reduced the brightness. And, of course, you'll see all of these images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Moving on to the canvas panel, I made the canvas itself thicker. In other words, the weave is deeper. And I also made the weave a bit larger. Now, it's important to preview these effects at 100% magnification, and you'll see why by examining the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In fact, when you look at a larger view of the image that I created with this set of filters at near 100% magnification, I think you'll probably agree with me that the effect that I created is too strong. For my final image, I selected a portrait setting, still working in oil, but with 
paint that's not as thick, with higher realism and no canvas. And take a look at the result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I think you'll like it. It's subtle, but glamorous. Definitely fitting Phoebe the Glamour Cat. So, two years later for Alien Skin Snap Art 2, yep, another five-cat rating, the clarity provided by modern digital cameras is astonishingly good. Even lenses by second-tier manufacturers these days create technically better images than many high-priced lenses from the past. But sometimes there's just too much clarity. There are times when you want a soft, painterly effect. And for those times... There's Alien Skin Snap Art 2. For more information, visit the Alien Skin website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I don't much care for spam, and most people I know don't. You might think that a large company such as Sears would abide by anti-spam legislation, but apparently that's not the case. And violations have been going on for so long... It would seem that the law simply isn't being enforced, or that Sears has found a loophole through which they can direct their spew. Otis Rylander wrote and told me that he receives spam almost daily from Sears, sometimes twice a day, and the company defends the practice. Otis clicked the unsubscribe link. He wrote to Sears asking to be removed from the mailing list. He complained by email. When he was told there was nothing he could do to stop the spew, Rylander asked to speak with his correspondence manager. Kirk L., who is a social media support senior case manager at Sears, wrote, and I quote, I apologize that I can't be more help to you. I have no one else to forward your concerns to. I am your senior case manager at Sears Corporate. If you write to the CEO, your letter will come back to me. I will have the same answer that I provided in my previous email. I suggest that you click unsubscribe at the bottom of the unwanted email or identify a spam in your inbox so unwanted emails go to your spam folder. Thank you for your input. <laughs> well, need I point out that Otis had already clicked that unsubscribe link, and it didn't work. This isn't the first time I've mentioned Sears and spam in the same story. In 2008, I wrote about a similar problem with Sears. When I complained to Sears, Christian Braithwaite told me that, and I quote here, based on our information, you opted in to receive email offers via a third-party vendor we work with. Our information shows you signed up at EliteSurveyGroup.com on February 29th. If you would like to opt out from receiving additional communications from Sears Holdings retail formats, please let us know. Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but that was an out-and-out -out lie. I had never heard of Elite Survey Group, and what I saw on their website didn't give me much confidence. Having never heard of the organization, I had also never filled out one of their surveys, and to reveal Braithwaite's statement for the lie it was, the spam had been sent to my TechBiter address. That's an address I would never, ever use for online business activity. In a post called Sears the Email Tar Baby, Christian Nielsen cautions against complaining. I quote him, If you get email spam from Sears or Experian, do not try to contact them or ask them to remove you from their list. Just report them to spamcop.net or their upstream provider. The harder you struggle, the more you will entangle yourself. 
Does that seem a little extreme? Well, Sears had one of Nielsen's email addresses, and when he wrote from another address to complain, they captured the second address, too, and started sending spam there. Then, when Nielsen complained about their use of the second address, they justified sending spam to that address because he had used the address to communicate with Sears to complain about spam. Jonathan Kamens continues the Sears spam story. After trying several times to convince Sears to stop spamming him, and I quote here, I've submitted a complaint to the FTC as well as submitted a complaint to Sears through their website. This is one of several reasons why I won't be letting anyone from Sears into my house to repair my appliances. Clearly, Sears seems to think spam works. But it appears to me that they are alienating, and thereby losing, previously loyal customers. And let me offer this one. This is from Only Email, a spam blocking service. And I quote from their website, While in the thrall of the holiday spirit, one of our staff members went out on a limb and joined the Sears Craftsman Club. How bad could it be, he thought. Surely Sears wouldn't abuse my trust in giving them my email address. If there's a problem, I'll just unsubscribe and it'll be over. Five unsubscribe requests later, he is still getting unwanted email from Sears. In short circuits, Google has been hacked again. When I started receiving email messages from people I don't know and finding that these messages contained only a link, I knew something was up. But what? Google has admitted that hundreds of accounts have been compromised, and the company blames Chinese hackers operating in the province of Jinan. This just happens to be where the People's Liberation Army runs an intelligence operation. Accounts were compromised when the victims fell prey to phishing schemes. Google didn't blame the Chinese government for the attack, but a spokesman for the Chinese government denied government involvement. Hong Lei, a foreign ministry spokesman, said that blaming the government, which Google didn't do, is unacceptable. Does he protest too much? Although the phony messages I received coincided with this recent attack, it is unlikely that they were related to the attack. And here's why. This attack was highly targeted, aimed at government officials and others, the kinds of people whose email would be a treasure trove for government or commercial espionage. Google quickly detected the attack and notified both the victims and the FBI. The attack sought to gain usernames and passwords for what seemed to be personal Gmail accounts of hundreds of users, including, among others, senior U.S. government officials, Chinese political activists, officials in several Asian countries, military personnel, and journalists. That's according to a statement released by Google. And this must be rerun day. There has been another break-in at Sony. Sony is reported to be thinking about buying Netflix or some other company, but it looks as if Sony and its customers would all be better off if the company invested some of the cash they have in security. That's because there's been another break-in, and the crackers who did it are gloating. LulzSec says that it has stolen information belonging to more than 50,000 Sony customers. Far from claiming sophistication, LulzSec says the methods it used were simple, because Sony had left a huge primitive security hole. Sony says it's investigating. Specifically, the group says that the technique used is known as SQL injection. 
This is a technique that takes advantage of poorly protected HTML forms to pass commands to a database server. And if it is true that SQL injection is what they used, then this is indeed a primitive security hole, one that should be covered by the end of the first semester of web training for programmers. Sony's PlayStation Network just recently came back online following a gigantic security breach in April. LulzSec posted a taunting message. Why do you put such faith in a company that allows itself to become open to these simple attacks? By the way, this is the same group that broke into and defaced PBS.org when members decided that they didn't like a PBS report on WikiLeaks. They also broke into Fox.com in early May. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.